Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's Audio Bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onel Nzinzi and Tabisolo Hoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Opposition leaders in Mali reject a plan by ECOWAS to end the country's spiraling crisis, still insisting that President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita resign. South Africa prepares to bid a final farewell to one of the country's foremost anti-apartheid stalwarts. And in economics news, Nigeria state oil firm signed a 1.5 billion US dollar repayment deal led by Standard Chattered and backed by oil traders Vitol Group and Matrix Energy. But first up, the news with Onel Nsinzi. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Lulu. Presidents from five countries in the West African regional bloc ECOWAS warns of of sanctions rather in Mali as the opposition rejects a compromise deal proposed to end the political crisis in the country. On Monday, president, presidents from the West African regional bloc ECOWAS proposed a plan which includes resolving an election dispute by rerunning polls for 31 members of parliament. However, the plan stopped short of the opposition group M5RFP's main demand that President Ibrahim Bobaka Keita resigns. Huge protests started after the constitutional court throughout 31 results from the parliamentary election in April, which benefited President Keita's party. They have, however, warned of sanctions against those opposing efforts to end the country's crisis. Africa is now urging towards a million cases of coronavirus, but ex- experts warn that far worse lies ahead. This is as the continent struggles with fragile health systems and slender economic resources. There are now more than 335,000 active cases of the coronavirus on the African continent, of which South Africa registered just over 165,000. There have been more than 18,000 COVID-19-related deaths, with South Africa counting for 7,257. The recovery rate in South Africa is, is as of Tuesday, confirmed a COVID-19 Cases total from 555 African countries has reached 860,541. South Africa's ruling ANC party has confirmed that its Gauteng Provincial Executive Committee will meet to discuss the recent allegations leveled against presidential spokesperson Kosela Digo. Digo has taken leave of absence amid a probe into the awarding of two contracts to the supply of PPEs to Royal Bata Project, a company in which her husband is a director. The contracts have since been cancelled. Tyron Seal has been appointed to act in Digo's position. The NC says a media briefing will be held on Thursday to clarify the party's position on the matter. The party's provincial spokesperson, Bones Modisi. 
most of the things will be ventilated in the PEC meeting. And it is only on Thursday during the press conference that the people of Gauteng would know what is the view of the ANC. The purpose of this thing is not only to look at what has been raised in the media as it relates to Kumit Kusela or Kumit Loiso, but to look at the procurement processes of the entire department as it relates to the COVID-19 specifically. There was an SIU that came into the department to do that forensic investigations. That report, if it's ready, it will be presented tomorrow in the meeting. So that the ANC Gauteng, when it takes a decision, it is a decision that is informed by fact. A U.S. biotech company, Moderna, says the experimental coronavirus vaccine has induced a strong immune response in a study on monkeys. It says the vaccine protects against infecting the lungs and nose and prevents lung disease. Moderna has started late-stage human trials involving 30,000 volunteers. Random tests conducted by the municipal authorities in India's financial capital, Mumbai, show that over half the people living in the city's crowded slums have the coronavirus. The comparable figures for those who don't live in slums are much lower. The BBC's Sanjay Dangubda reports. Mumbai is one of the world's largest cities with a population that's estimated to be almost 20 million. A significant proportion are forced to live in overcrowded slums. When the city authorities tested people randomly, 57% of slum dwellers were found to have coronavirus antibodies. Mumbai has reported over 110,000 infections and more than 6,000 deaths so far. But as elsewhere in India, experts point out that the lack of adequate testing could mean that actual numbers are much higher. Lastly, looking at your sports head coach of South African PSL strugglers, Black Leopards FC, Alan Clark, says he is resigned because he could not guide the club in the remaining six league games. Clark became the fourth coach to part ways with the team in the 2019-2020 season. Clark says he waited to hear the PSL decision on the future of the season before considering to resign. The PSL games will resume next week after being suspended for four months due to the coronavirus pandemic. Clark says he received an offer in Europe. It's something that I'm also still trying to to find out. I have not received any official resignation from the coach. I have not been able to locate him or speak to him. So I'm still waiting to hear what exactly is happening. Channel African News, I am Onelian Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial from an African perspective. Thank you, Onele. The South African Broadcasting Corporation has come under fire again for failure to give satisfactory answers in Parliament. The public broadcaster was asked to explain certain deviations from procurement procedures and failure to renew contracts on time. The SABC was, however, either unable to explain all members were unhappy with the answers provided. They were appearing before Parliament's Standing Committee on Public Accounts, Joseph Musia reports. The aim of the meeting was for the SABC to brief Scopa on the deviations and expansions covering the period of the second quarter of 2019 to 2020 up to the second quarter of 2020-2021. Among the items members of Parliament were interested in was the use of debt collecting agencies for TV licenses. EFF MP Veronica Mente asked Chief Financial Officer Yolande Van Bellion why the company uses these agencies 
when it has its own debt collecting unit. Um, yes, we do, um, Honourable Member. Um, they focus on uh, the current accounts. Uh, the debt collectors typically take over from, is it 90 days? And above, uh, we hand over to the debt collecting agencies. The reason why we outsource is that the older the debt gets, uh, the more effort is involved to try and recover them. Uh, and these agencies are typically set up with a kind of infrastructure to focus explicitly on that. Peggy Hadebe of the ANC wanted to know why an extension of a contract with Inala Broadcasting was renewed without a competitive bidding process in 2014 and a deviation was sought from the National Treasury. I'm talking about 2014. This is the year talking about one contract originally awarded in 2010. It's, in, it's been in existence for, 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 for 10 years. Unless sure. you are saying to us, 2014, this contract came to an end. Now we're dealing with the new contract. In, in June 2014, we were given a new contract, which now it's been ex, uh, uh, extended again for another three years. Panbelion requested that they be given an opportunity to provide answers at a later stage. Chair, so, so unfortunately, as I was saying, um, I, I, even uh, noting that Irene would have been in supply chain back then, uh, I don't think she has the information at the tip of her fingers for this purpose. Um, if I may respectfully request that we um, provide it um, together with the other report that we need to do by Friday, um, because unfortunately, uh, I, I, those of us here just don't have um, the background to what happened back then. And I really apologize for that. Committee Chairperson Kulego Shengwa objected to this request. You, you, you submitted these things yourselves to us. You should have had the files prepared. Here, your, your own submission that you made. The issue of Inala is here before us. And we're scheduled to have a meeting. That is not acceptable at all. To not have information about a contract which was scheduled for the meeting appears in your own submission insofar as the deviations and expansions is concerned. Let, let us not please. In closing, Lengwa indicated that the authorities will have to look further at the deviations at the SABC. Our point of departure is to get the AG to perform a special audit on the areas we will specify insofar as expansions and deviations are concerned. And then the second leg of that is then to have this referred um, to, to, to the SIU for further investigation um, and then keep it on the radar so that the application for expansions and deviations is only when it's absolutely necessary to do so, so that you can compel the SAPC to shape up. That report by Joseph Musia. The South African government's special official funeral for the last Ravonia trialist to pass away, Bab Endrum Langeni, is underway at the University of Johannesburg in Soweto this morning. 95-year-old Mlangeni died at one military hospital in Pretoria last week. He was one of the ANC's first MK members to be trained in communist China and to meet Chairman Mao in 1962. Back home, Mlangeni disguised himself as a priest to recruit others into the armed struggle and became known as Robot. In mid-1964, Mlangeni and seven other Ravonia trialists, including Dennis Goldberg, Kathy Katrada, 
Raymond Mhlaba and Elias Mutswaledi were convicted of conspiring to overthrow the apartheid government by violent revolution. For that, Mlangani was jailed for over 26 years. He only tasted freedom again at the age of 64 in late 1989. Here's a snapshot of Bob Andrew Mlangani's life in his own voice. My name is Andrew Mlangeni. I was arrested and sentenced to life imprisonment. In a case called the Rwanda trial with Nelson Mandela, Walter Sisulu, Gavin Becky, and others. Sisulu was an inspiration to me. Even my school days, You'd see the newspaper writing that Susulu is fighting for the freedom of people. And I said to myself, if Susulu can do this, why should I stand aside? I never thought I'd be sentenced to more than six years. I was wrong. I was sentenced to life imprisonment. We were transferred from Pretoria after we were sentenced on the 12th of June 1964 to Robben Island, where we spent 19 years and nine months. The 13th of June 1964 was one of the coldest days, they said, in South Africa after 20 years. Very early in the morning, about 3 o'clock, they woke us up. When we asked them, where are you going? They said, Oh no, we're taking you somewhere else. Got out into a, a truck and uh, drove us to a military base in Pretoria. And when we got there, we were put into a military plane. Only then we were told that we had been transferred to Robben Island. They handcuffed us, even in the plane. If I want to go to the toilet, You've got to come along with somebody to whom you are handcuffed. We landed on Robben Island. We were then taken to very small cells. They kept us there for two weeks while they were building a section for us, the famous B section. Of the Rivonia trialists, my wife was the first one to come. You are shouting to your visitors outside. You can hardly hear. And that's the type of visit, my first visit I got. We enjoyed listening to the singing of the birds early in the morning, which was in a way soothing to our nerves. The bells rang at six o'clock. You then get up. Clear your bucket, wash, have your breakfast, and you march to the quarry. We wait on that lime quarry until 78, 79, when the new SASO students came in. It was a, a punishment quarry. You must put up a brave face. Pretend that things are okay. When you're in prison, it's only then that you realize oh, what is it that you are missing from outside. 
even just the ordinary touch of a human being, the cry of a child. I didn't see my children grow up. My wife single-handedly brought them up, and that's one thing I greatly regretted. Many years later, they introduced music and censored news. Sometimes they would open their radio and just hear, this is the end of the news, that's all. And then music takes over. They would play that music until about 8 o'clock and stop. Majority of newspapers, we go to Africans' newspapers, the Berger. You buy this newspaper from common law prisoners who work in the offices. They work in the homes of wardens and they get these newspapers. We buy them by giving them tobacco. When you are reflecting and you are sitting alone in your cell, a number of questions arise. Was our decision correct to take up arms? The longer we stayed in prison, the more convinced we were that the decision itself to take up arms was correct. The four of us, Sisulu, Mandela, Raymond Mshlava and myself, were then transferred to Polsmo prison, where we spent another seven years before our release. I made use of my incarceration. I studied through University of South Africa and I acquired two degrees, BA and BA honors in political science. I was due to write exams. We were taken to the officer's mess for the first time. And they said, chaps, what would you like to have? We opted for steak and chips. Also, we wanted the TV. John Bishop read the news and said, the government is prepared to release unconditionally the following. My blood pressure shot up. It's excitement. Obviously, we were the feelers. They released us to see what the position is going to be in the country. The excitement of people outside, people coming to our homes, for weeks on end. My street was closed on both sides, almost for, for 10 days, the crowds of people coming. I had put the struggle of our people in front of all my personal things. I did it at the expense of my wife and family. The freedom of everybody in the country, including the whites, That's a snapshot of Ubaba Andrew Mlangeni in his own voice, was produced by Angie Kapilianis and Danny Boyson. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided that all public schools should take a break for the next four weeks. Now, this 
has also been the experience in a number of other countries where schools have opened and have also had to close due to the circumstances that each country has had to confront. This means that schools will be closed from the 27th July and will reopen on the 24th of August. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 for Channel Africa, I'm Arthur Skopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough, and difficulty breathing, seek medical advice promptly as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition. It's 7.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Political parties in South Africa have given various reactions to the International Monetary Fund's multi-billion rand loan to the country. The executive board of the IMF has approved the country's request for a 70 billion rand loan to help bolster its response to the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. But with rampant corruption in the country, some parties are skeptical the money will reach its intended beneficiaries. Ndebo Mukobo reports. The 70 billion rand loan from the IMF is part of government's 500 billion rand stimulus package to support the economy. This is the IMF's first loan to post-apartheid South Africa, a stark reminder that all is not well in the country. The loan comes at a time when there are allegations of corruption and theft of COVID-19 funds and COPE spokesperson Dennis Bloom is skeptical. There is no guarantee that the IMF loan money will not be stolen just like the COVID-19 disaster funds. These greedy, heartless thieves don't care about the country and the people. Corruption under President Sir Ramaphosa is getting worse. Our country is bankrupt. The ANC has collapsed the country's economy. President Sir Ramaphosa and the ANC must hang their heads in shame. President Ramaphosa's integrity and credibility is at stake. And to ensure accountability, some parties have made several proposals. Gordon Hill Lewis is the dear shadow minister on finance. And so we have proposed a number of measures to ensure that this loan money is not wasted on corruption and theft by ANC tenderpreneurs and cronies like so much of the other money has already been wasted. We are proposing that the National Treasury tables every month a detailed report on how the money is being spent, which businesses are receiving tenders and who the directors of those businesses are and that they appear before Parliament to face scrutiny and questioning on those reports. Others fear the loan from the international lender could undermine the country's economic independence. Vuyane Pambo is the EFF spokesperson. This is the biggest political blunder in the history of South Africa. Loans from the IMF always come with neoliberal and neocolonial conditionalities, and South Africa will not escape from this reality. Whether immediately or in the long run, the IMF will impose conditionalities which will certainly undermine South Africa's macroeconomic and fiscal policy sovereignty. Once again, the EFF will be proven to be correct in this observation. It is now evident that the white capitalist establishment is working with their global allies to use their puppet president Ramaphosa to hijack the sovereignty of South Africa. And welcoming the loan, the ANC's Pule Mabe says they will ensure the money is put to good use. 
welcome the approval of the IMF uh, loan and are confident that uh, in uh, carrying through the work of ultimately securing the loan, our own national treasury had placed foremost the interest of the people of South Africa. A view that we had previously made that there must never be conditions that will serve to undermine the sovereignty of our people. We also believe that this loan would go a long way towards boosting our efforts to fight and defeat the COVID-19 pandemic. It is also important that on how these loans are utilized, greater prudence is exercised. Two financial institutions, the New Development Bank and the African Development Bank, have also pledged to help South Africa revive its falling economy. I am Debo Mokobo in Johannesburg. The conflict between the use of African traditional medicine and Western medicine has intensified during the COVID-19 pandemic. There is no existing vaccine or cure for the virus, which has claimed around 654,000 lives globally. In South Africa, many people have sought to use an age-old African herb called Atemisia, Africa, or Umklonyane in Nguni, to manage symptoms of COVID-19. Tabilembele reports. When Madagascar made headlines for promoting the African plant Umklonyane as a cure for COVID-19, the World Health Organization cautioned against its use since there is no known cure. However, African traditional healers have defended the plant, which has been used for centuries to treat flu and other ailments. Pepsi Lemasego from the Traditional Healers Organization, which has 30,000 members across the country, has questioned why a plant that has been effective for decades should now be scrutinized by the Western healers and scientists. The one thing that we should not deceive ourselves is that traditional medicine is in war with Western medicine. So they never like anything that is indigenous because they know they can't protect it and be happy because it's not sympathetic. So we've always been consistent war. But what is most important that we're waking up to now is that it is the responsibility of government to say, how then do we ensure that we preserve? And part of preservation is to allow communities to cultivate umsonyan with all of the plants. It is estimated that 60% of the South African population consults a traditional healer first. There are about 200,000 traditional healers compared to 25,000 Western-trained doctors in South Africa. Masego says they will continue defending indigenous plants. We've always made a lot of noise about this, but one thing that I know is that we are in a country that is highly racist. A country that does not want to accept umsonyane from a healer, but wants to accept umsonyane that is put together by a white man and, and sold in a retail facility. But they would shun to come to me, go to Mamiya's umsonyane. Let healers start up their own company, have partnership with these big companies and say, we want shareholding. It, it is a clear and call to government to say, instead of us shunning what is indigenous and ours, let us rather invest in this thing. Previously, the issue of African medicine versus Western medicine dominated discussions when the country was dealing with the HIV epidemic. The suggestion was to use both. However, there was a strong belief that this would delay treatment and care. Professor Sandy Van Fieren from the Department of Pharmacy and Pharmacology at Wirtz University has done extensive research on African traditional medicine for over two decades and says there's definitely room for the existence of both. I really think there's a place, I mean, it's part of our culture. I think it can be integrated into normal westernized medicine, especially when it comes to maybe superficial infections. 
or superficial things. You don't want to rush to the doctor and get your antibiotic. I mean, you see all these people, as soon as they've got a sniff and a cold, they want to go to the doctor to get an antibiotic. Maybe you can try a natural way first and if you have complications, if your body's immune or compromised, then maybe go to get your antibiotic. Professor Ngeba Kalini from the Africa Health Research Institute and honorary professor at the University of KwaZulu-Natal says government dropped the ball on the work that it had already started on promoting the use of African traditional medicine over a decade ago. I think this pandemic gives us now momentum for traditional medicine to move forward in a big way. The Department of Science and Innovation is doing a good job uh, of funding research and by now we should have been at least having products that have been scientifically proven on the shelves. But the regulatory body has not yet got its acts together. But I think with this pandemic they've, they've learned a lesson. Meanwhile, government has invested 15 million rand in research on African medicines, including Umhlonyane, during the COVID-19 pandemic. The study will be conducted by the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research in Pretoria. Tabile Mpele, Johannesburg. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLE to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Onel Nsinti. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Mali's opposition once more rejects a plan put forward by West Africa's regional body, ECOWAS, to resolve the ongoing political crisis in the country. Africa approaches 1 million COVID-19 cases and South Africa's ruling ANC party confirms that its Gauteng Provincial Executive Committee will meet today to discuss the recent allegations leveled against presidential spokesperson Kusela Diko. Channel Africa News, I am Onelinsinzi. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Thank you, Onele. World Hepatitis Day, which took place yesterday, has been observed in Cameroon with health officials in search of millions of patients they say are missing. Cameroon, with a population of 25 million, has about 3 million hepatitis patients, making the country one of Africa's worst hit by the disease. Moki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. Bonjour, madame. Bonjour, monsieur. Soyez les bienvenus. J'ai entendu parler de la campagne. Ça m'a poussé aussi à venir me faire dépister parce que j'en ai tellement entendu parler de, de cette maladie. Je ne sais pas si vous êtes venu seul. A health worker discusses with Valérie Mbappé, a 52-year-old farmer at the General Hospital in Yaoundé. Mbappe says she was diagnosed with hepatitis in April 2020 and her uncle told her she could only be treated by a traditional healer. Mbappe says since she went to the healer, her abdominal pain, constant fatigue and fever has instead increased. Pour dire de vrai, je n'ai jamais trompé mon mari. Je vais dire aux gens qui sont malades dehors, ils viennent à l'hôpital se faire des pistes. She says before leaving for the hospital, she told the traditional healer that she has never cheated on her husband, as the healer claimed, saying it was the cause of her ill health. She says now that she knows that she can be treated at the hospital, her advice is that people should not be reluctant to visit health facilities for their hepatitis screening. She says she was told by a nurse that she should stop drinking and smoking heavily because it may lead to complications during her treatment. Mbappe was brought to the hospital by members of SOS Hepatitis, a non-governmental organization that encourages patients to seek treatment at hospitals. Samuel Yamese, spokesperson for SOS Hepatitis, says it is part of this year's World Hepatitis Day activities. He says with the government, they decided and are out to save the lives of the 13% of Cameroonians living with hepatitis in the country of 23 million people. Les patients positifs seront pris en charge et les patients qui sont négatifs seront vaccinés. He says their main target is the majority of patients who refuse to go to hospitals and prefer traditional treatment. He says everyone tested positive with hepatitis will be treated by his NGO and the government. He says those who are tested negative will be given their first dose of the hepatitis vaccine. People who take the first dose of the hepatitis vaccine should come for the second dose after three months and the last after six months to be free from the disease, says Yamese. Après, on prend la dernière dose. C'est ce que nous vous conseillons dans le cas de votre résultat. In 2019, Cameroon reported 12,000 new cases of hepatitis B, up from 9,600 in 2018. Less than 1,500 are receiving treatment. Simon Ayong, who treats hepatitis, says the government reduced the cost of treatment from $250 per month to less than $50 per month to encourage patients to be treated at hospitals. He says the government is encouraging early screening. Hepatitis is a virus. 
a virus that is transmitted through sexual intercourse, through exposure with the blood of an infected person. Hepatitis is a virus that can be transmitted through bodily fluid. Now, in our little grammar, hepatitis is an inflammation lesion of the liver which has multiple causes and hepatitis is regrouped into five various families. We have the family of hepatitis A, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, hepatitis D and E. Now when we talk about different causes, we have alcoholic causes. We also have medication causes because people might think that hepatitis is only through sexual intercourse uh, through blood transfusion they forget to know that you can also get hepatitis be infected with hepatitis or develop hepatitis through drug abuse and especially this happens with hepatitis c or through abuse of some molecules like paracetamol this year each of the 360 government hospitals in Cameroon dispatched two health workers to track patients. The government also targets best dose vaccines for hepatitis. Cameroon says it is succeeding in vaccinating children and mothers who visit hospitals, but that hepatitis is still a serious cause for concern. Only 35% of Cameroon's 25 million people visit hospitals. Others prefer healers and some go to hospitals only when their situation is critical. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé, Cameroon. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. There's nothing good about alcohol. Alcohol is destructive. Alcohol destroys families. Alcohol destroys life. Alcohol contributes to unprotected sex and spreading of diseases. Alcohol contributes to domestic violence, abuse of children and women. Channel Africa. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int.
It's 7.38 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The Zimbabwean government has been accused of neglecting its citizens for decades, hence high-density townships have become the epicenter of COVID-19. In a recent map of Harare showing areas affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, areas where mostly the poor and underprivileged stay are heavily hit, with the health delivery system almost dead, there are concerns that the pandemic may ravage these areas if measures are not taken to lessen the burden on the poor. Simon Muchema reports from Harare. Zimbabweans are questioning government's preparedness in fighting COVID-19 now that high-density communities have become the epicenter of the pandemic. In a demographic map leaked from Sito Harare on Monday, there are indications townships are the worst affected. This is where hotel workers, shop attendants, bus drivers, nurses and even junior doctors stay owing to their poor salaries. Life in these communities is a hassle each day with the majority living from hand to mouth. However, the collapse of the social services might present COVID-19 as a ticking time bomb for Zimbabwe, Dr. Nomen Matara said. I'd say it's a, it's a very big challenge. Even the issue of uh, self-isolating when you have symptoms, it poses a very big challenge for people living in those high-density suburbs. It's uh, actually um, virtually impossible uh, for them to practice um, uh, the social distancing that we are advocating for, for people who have signs uh, and symptoms of, of COVID-19. Some of those things that uh, we have talked about to say that uh, we really needed to improve the people's uh, lives, you know, um, uh, every day. Because when we meet challenges like this now, it's very difficult to address them over a short period of time. Because this Dr. Matara is a member of the Zimbabwe Association of Doctors for Human Rights, a group of doctors that have been calling on government to stop the claim down of citizens' freedoms in the name of the lockdowns. The association is worried health professionals are striking at a time when cases of locally transmitted COVID-19 are on the increase. It's our organization is not personal doctors for human rights that issue, that statement. So we are obviously in agreement uh, that uh, the lockdown, uh, which was um, strengthened just uh, last week, they did not, it did not address some of those uh, key issues because in the initial lockdown, we saw that people uh, they disregarded uh, lockdown regulations uh, because of some um, social uh, challenges that they made access to water, you know, access to food and uh, uh, the transport system, uh, and also people living from uh, hand to mouth every day that they need to go outside and uh, look for money to for, 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 for a daily living. In the past week, Zimbabwe has experienced closure of companies, public offices, as well as government departments following claims employees, including legislators, have tested positive to COVID-19. Denford Mtashu, president of the Zimbabwe Retailers Association, expressed the concern most members of his association are the worst affected. The, those areas, most of those areas are overpopulated. And if you also check the relaxation of measures, a lot of people in the high density sometimes neglecting the social distancing, the issue of wearing of masks. You saw that, uh, that that was quite prevalent in those particular areas. It concentrated in the highly populated areas. There was lack of practice of social distancing and uh, other measures to prevent the spread. Currently, Zimbabwe has recorded over 2,000 confirmed cases, including 34 deaths that resulted in the imposition of the night curfew and stricter COVID-19 lockdown.
In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Mchema. Floods have wreaked havoc in Gwagwalada area of Nigeria's capital, Abuja, destroying property and taking along with it a mother and her four children. The rains which led to the flooding of the community began after midnight on Monday, making it difficult for some of the residents living close to the bank of the local stream to evacuate their homes as quickly as possible. Collins Atohengbe reports. The rains this year began sparingly with no immediate sign of much to follow later. There were strong winds in many instances accompanying rain clouds which in most cases failed to fall. But as the months progressed, rainfall intensified causing flooding in many major cities including Lagos, Abeokuta, Benin City and Abuja amongst others. The Lagos rain at Agege area of the city took the life of a little girl as the parents were running to get out of the threatening floods. The Abuja incident was compounded by the fact that it started while people were asleep, so not many people were at alert. Godfrey Okere, one of the victims who was affected by the floods, says lots of property were destroyed and some swept away following a sudden surge of water in the nearby stream. By 3 a.m. this morning, uh, it started raining and uh, down to 6 o'clock this morning, down to 6.30. So the river was kind of increasing, you know, gradually. But like around 7.30 to 8 thereabout, we just noticed this kind of force. Within 10 minutes, the, the river increased. And then well, at that point in time, we were confused because thing of such has never happened. But this time around, we were confused. Nobody could get his properties out. Our documents, uh, you know, fridge, uh, um, television, and uh, so many other valuable things. Some their house collapsed. So, honestly speaking, it was uh, so terrible. Another resident of the flooded community who was able to salvage some of her belongings with the help of neighbors, Mrs. Rejoice Okorafor, says people were a bit relaxed because the previous rainfalls never used to get to the stage of causing floods in the area. The rain started about about three in the morning. We were in the house, and about I think that was seven thirty-three when my husband asked me for the time. So we we looked through the back because as a channel we used to to drain water down into the little drainage that passed at the back of the house. So the water started coming in gently. So we started moving our things because over time, like last year too, it was almost like that, but it was not as as um, terrible height, height happened this year. But that one of last year just came and it went back. But this one of this year, when it rains, they're coming with a knowledge of what has been happening. We had to move our things from the house to our neighbor's house. This one behind me, the water still increasing. So we just felt maybe it's just a normal thing. Neighbors came and they were helping us due to the fact that it has happened before. So they're helping us to move our things so that we don't have any loss. For we knew, the water just surged so very, so very quickly, forcefully, and was no pushing off things to the extent that to the height of the house to the other side it kept on destroying things this has been a very terrible experience reporting on the incident florence wenejeme of the abuja emergency management authority says one body was recovered while the search is on for the other victims five people lost their lives they were drowned but we were able to recover one body yesterday from FCT Emergency Management Agency Search and Rescue Team, we came back again this morning to continue with the search. And uh, we got information that a body was found 
uh, in Gomani of uh, Kwali Area Council. And uh, we are informed that when they found the body, they didn't know what to do. They had to bury. But search is on, still ongoing for the other uh, three people because it's a mother and four children. So we found one child. We don't know if she's the one that was found in Gomani because it's a woman they said that they found and buried. The Director of Research and Forecasting at the National Emergency Management Authority says it's important that people kept away from danger zones because there is going to be heavier rainfalls this year. It's very unfortunate, especially we have lost life. And uh, this is exactly what we have been trying to educate people on. Um, there is a culvert over there. It's likely it has been blocked or it was blocked. And so the water had to find its way above the road and then affected the houses. This is going to have more rainfall. We want the people to please clear all their drainages. Flood this year has been predicted and whatever we can do to save life, we will do. And we don't want more deaths in, uh, in, in this way. Earlier in the year, the National Meteorological Service warned that there will be lots of rainfalls in 2020. And 23 states in particular, which often suffer flooding, were advised to take precautionary measures to protect citizens. What happened in Abuja is a picture of what may happen if people do not give nature its right of way or when the usual water courses are blocked from lagos nigeria i am collins nosato for channel africa news It's 7.48 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Thanks to Lulu and good morning. Nigeria's state oil firm has signed a 1.5 billion US dollars prepayment deal led by Standard Chartered and backed by all traders of Atoll Group and Matrix Energy. The deal provides OPEC member Nigeria with much needed cash after its finances were hit by the oil price crash in April as COVID-19 lockdowns. The financing package, called Project Eagle, was also backed by African Export Import Bank and United Bank for Africa. Zimbabwe's stock market will resume trading next week after state financial intelligence body concluded its investigation, but three stocks also listed on other exchanges, including the local unit of Old Mutual, will remain suspended. The government suspended trading on the boss last month. The move, which included the suspension of some mobile phone-based payments, was intended to arrest the slide of the Zimbabwe dollar. The South African Broadcasting Corporation is expected to appear before the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation and Arbitration CCMA this afternoon with regard to its planned retrenchment process. In June, the public broadcaster issued a letter of redundancy to staff. The process is expected to affect 1,800 staff members. Zolika Kutashi reports. 
The SAPC argues that its financial position has been worsened by the coronavirus pandemic. Whilst appearing before Scopa yesterday, SAPC Chief Executive Matodam Mkwagwe attributed 43% of the public broadcaster's cost drivers to staff. The public broadcaster met with unions under the auspices of the CCMA earlier this month. Unions, the Communications Workers Union, CWU and Bamawu, have accused the broadcaster of initiating the Section 189 process prematurely. The SABC received a bailout of 3 billion rand from government last year, but argues that despite introducing cost-cutting measures, it still has to reduce its wage bill by 700 million rand. Zolega Kotashi, SABC News, Johannesburg. U.S. President Donald Trump has hailed a deal with the technology company Kodak as an important step towards achieving pharmaceutical independence for America. His administration has approved a $765 million loan to Kodak to produce chemical components for essential drugs. This is a new field for the company, which is best known for cameras and films. U.S. Democratic Party presidential contender Joe Biden has promised to spend tens of billions of dollars, help people of color to overcome economic inequality if he wins the election in November. Speaking in his hometown of Wilmington, Biden promised to boost opportunities for black, Latino and Native American businesses. The BBC's Peter Bowers reports. Biden said he would launch a historic effort to create and expand small businesses in economically disadvantaged areas. It would involve a surge in funding for low-income housing, more money spent on infrastructure in black communities and help for small firms owned by minorities. Mr Biden said Donald Trump had split the country on racial grounds and was intentionally stoking the flames of division. The former vice president's remarks follow weeks of racial unrest and a health crisis that's disproportionately affected America's black and Hispanic communities. Indicators at the Sawa. The US dollar is trading at 385.93 Nigerian Nara, 11.31 Botswana Bula, 106.77 Kenyan Shilling and 18.13 Zambian Gwacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil won US dollar costs 5 roll 15 Russia, 72 rubles 12 India, 74 rupees 59 China, 7 yuan and in South Africa, 16 rand 48. The US dollar is also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 85 cents to the euro, gold $1,947, platinum $942 per ounce, Brent crude oil $43.27 a barrel. From an African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Sviso Mashejo, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments on our show, send us an email at info channelafrica.co.za 
WhatsApp on plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven or tweet us at Channel Africa One. And taking us to the top of our for the news is Seven Seconds by Yusundo featuring Nana Sheree. Have a good day and stay safe.